matter where you are. You are being watched. In today's world, no one is off the grid. Existing in the modern world has been forever changed. What's out there? What's out there? Most people don't want to know, but you are about to get clued in. This is Patriot Games. Patriot Games. We'll explore different intelligence, techniques, spycraft, and the latest cutting-edge technology that will blow your mind. We'll introduce you to pros who've spent careers in the intel community with incredible stories. We'll expose it all. Welcome to Patriot Games. And now your host, Greg Phillips. Welcome to Patriot Games. My name is Greg Phillips. I'm your host. This is episode two about the intelligence community, the intel community, the IC. Um, a lot of folks know, um, you know what you read about it in the paper, but frankly, that's what they want you to know. It's all an info operation. They're telling you what they want you to hear, um, and the media is complicit in it. So today... Uh, I am thrilled to um, to bring my friend, Dr. Sebastian Gorka, uh, uh, to Patriot Games. Uh, we're going to visit about a wide variety of topics. Uh, he's an extraordinary um, individual. He's an author. He's an instructor. Um, he's uh, He was a senior advisor to President Trump, um, a target of the deep state. And um, again, we are just absolutely thrilled to welcome Dr. Gorka to Patriot Games. All right. Welcome to Patriot Games, Dr. Gorka. Thanks for having me. An honor. Man, what an exciting uh, time for us on the show, um, meeting you in, in, uh, during the filming of 2000 Mules. And I sort of felt a, an immediate kinship uh, as a sort of a colleague and almost an advisor as you may recall, as we were kind of talking our way through this thing, I mentioned um, I mentioned pattern of life, and you jumped right in immediately and said that's really important, and and it was it, it really kind of tuned me in and reminded me just how significant uh, your experience is in in the intelligence community space and and really in intelligence in general. Yeah, it was. Um... I'd met Catherine before, uh, Engelbrecht, at least we've been in the same room a couple of times. I'd never met you before. And uh, you're a rather taciturn chap, so I didn't know what box to put you in. And when you used that phrase, patterns of life, I thought, uh, okay, this this guy has a background. Um, for those who are familiar with my work, before I spent almost 20 years working in national security for the U.S. military and then in the White House with President Trump, I spent a few years playing at... Um, you know, intelligence things in the British uh, Army Reserve. So I was in the intelligence corps. My MOS was an interrogator. That was a long, long time ago um, in the 1990s. But when, when you use that phrase, the rest of my Salem colleagues didn't know what you had said. But I thought, oh, OK, this guy's a professional and he knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And uh, man, in preparing for the show and reading a little bit about your dad and, and kind of what he went through, I don't want to spend much time on it, but what an amazing story that brings you to America, right? I mean, what if, uh, I mean, it's, it's really the American dream, the American story and how you went, you, he went from life in prison to, to 
you being an adv- a senior advisor to the president of the United States, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, so I've written three books now, and uh, every single book, whatever the topic is, whether it's Islamic Jihad or my time in the White House or you know, political warfare here in America, I always open the, the book with a story about my family. And if I've met anybody who's ever read my books, it doesn't matter where in the world I am, the only thing they ever want to talk about is my family story, and especially my father, who at the age of 20 was an anti-communist behind the Iron Curtain, was betrayed by Kim Philby, one of the worst, most heinous traitors of Western civilization in the 20th century, was tortured, imprisoned, got a life sentence, and then was liberated six years later by the Hungarian freedom fighters. And that's how I ended up being born in the U.K., and then eventually working my way up through the ladder of national security into the White House as an immigrant. And it still blows my mind. I still get shivers every single time I tell the story of, you know, January the 21st, 2016, uh, walking around the uh, 2017, walking around the Oval Office as you know, deputy assistant to the president the day after the inauguration, as a person who'd only come to America seven years previously and had only become a citizen five years ago, you know, that, that doesn't happen in any other country. And that's why America is the greatest nation on God's earth. Yeah, it really is. One of the things about mules, I tell people almost every day, I, I don't think mules has necessarily um, um, been a, a sort of a game changer or a needle mover, if you will, um, on the election integrity stuff yet. Because legislatures all over the country and legislators have failed to act and and leaders have failed to lead and they haven't changed the rules. They haven't changed the laws. They haven't gotten rid of the drop boxes. They haven't done all the things they needed to do. But one thing Mules did was it reignited a, a sort of this, oh, my gosh, something really was wrong. We can fight back. And so we're seeing every single day that that freedom fight Maybe not to the scale that your that your dad went through, um, but the the reigniting of freedom, especially in in places like Truth Social, Truth Social, um, and and other social media um, uh, environments, has really been extraordinary. We've we've heard that twenty some million people have actually seen the movie now. It's being translated into Italian. It's being translated into Spanish for Spain. It's being translated into French. They previewed it at the EU. And and I suspect it has little to do with elections and really more to do with that word freedom. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be so um, self-deprecating to say that the work you, Catherine, and, and Nash and Debbie have done hasn't moved the needle. I, I think it has moved the needle. There have been some uh, new uh, packages, some new laws passed. I would say it's about half a percent of what needs to happen for us to get clean elections uh, in America. However, your broader point is is really well taken. So you know me, I have a, a daily radio show, America First, three hours a day across the nation from California to New York. I have my weekly TV show on Newsmax, the Gorka Reality Check. And for about a year after the election, you know, I, I I'm addicted to social media. Just ask my wife. I'm on social media far too much. I've got about 2 million followers on various platforms. And for about a year, um, conservatives would be responding saying, that's it. We're done. America is lost. I'm never voting again. And I'd say, 
you know, r- really? What what have you done about it? Have you done what my wife th- did, who hates politics? Did you get trained to be an election poll worker? Did you run for local office? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's like Rush said not long before he died. It's a clip I, I use regularly on my show. Uh, he, he asked his audience, when is the time to despair? And, and the great Rush Limbaugh said, it's never the time to despair because it's un-American. So, you know, what, what you have done with, with Catherine, with Debbie, with Dinesh is, is to remind people that we'd never give up. If you, you know, whether it's 1776, whether it's World War One, World War Two, 9-11, we do not give up. And, and you have reminded people that, you know, there are things you can do instead of just bitching and moaning or giving up. So God bless all of you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gorky. You know, one of the, the I think the, the greatest enigmas for, for many people that you're, you're an, actually an expert in, and, and one of the reasons uh, I, I was so thrilled to have you on the show, Americans don't really understand what government intelligence or the intelligence community is and really what it means to the country and, and how, um, and the depth of it, good and bad, maybe sometimes. Um, but the intelligence community is a is a bit of an enigma to to the yeah. average citizen. Um, can you share with everybody a little bit about your some of your experiences with it and and maybe maybe your overall views of the community itself? Wow. Um, so I'll preface this by saying I, I still have my my clearances. So I'm going to talk in in generalities, but I'm going to tell you some stories about what I experienced. Uh, outside of the White House and then in the White House. So I came here in 2012. Uh, I became a, a professor, an assistant professor, then an associate dean for irregular warfare and counterterrorism in the Defense Department. I taught at National Defense University at Fort McNair. Then I became an adjunct for SOCOM's um, Joint Special Operations University in Tampa. And then for the last few years, I still have an association with Fort Bragg and the JFK School for Special Warfare. My, my, my thing is irregular warfare, counterterrorism, and grand strategy. That's, that's what really excites me. So why does al-Qaeda do what it does? What is the strategy of groups like ISIS? What is Russia doing in Ukraine? That's my thing. And before I, I, I got into the White House, got my TS, my SCI, I saw an intelligence community that was kind of lost. Uh, when it came to understanding the enemy, they really weren't, it weren't even doing the 101s. During the Cold War, we weren't bad, especially when it was quantitative intelligence. But by the 1990s and the aughts, we weren't studying Iranian strategic documents. We weren't reading you know, the, the key Chinese texts, uh, such as you know, the, the, the two colonels writing their book on unrestricted warfare. And, and you could take, you know, 100 courses on the Balkan Wars at National Defense University or, or, or you know, the, the War College in Carlisle, but there were no courses on, on modern Chinese strategy or, or what, what the IRGC and the Quds Force are thinking. So, so we kind of lost our capacity to, to, to red team and to think like the enemy, which is which is why we won in the Cold War, whether it's the long telegram, NSC 68, or, or what Reagan did. We actually understood the enemy, and, and we created a strategy to defeat them, and we did that. That's the weakness of the tradecraft, if you will. Then we get to 2016, 
And the American people do something that they're not allowed to do. Uh, as, an, as an immigrant, I find it amusing that I have to remind my fellow Americans. In, in 2016, 64 million Americans did something that had never happened before in American history. Because from Washington to Obama, every single president was linked. Every single president, until my boss, was a former congressman, senator, governor, or retired general. Every stinking one of them. And then along comes a guy who's never worked in D.C., never run for office, has no connections to big farm of the unions or big oil. He runs the first time and he wins the first time. So it was like this massive middle finger to the establishment and to all the rice bowls and to all the vested interests among the SISs, all the people at Langley, DIA, across the 17 agencies, you name it. And when I came into the White House as Deputy Assistant for Strategy, in the beginning, I refused to use the word deep state. I, I thought that's a little bit, little bit tinfoil hatty. I, I, I think that's you know probably not true. And within six days, I, I knew it was real. And I'll give you two examples to to, get, to illustrate where we are at with the IC. Number one, we were five days, six days into the administration, and the new NSC phone book was going to be issued. Now it's a phone book, but it's classified. Why? Because the political appointees at the top of each directorate, if you're the head of the Intel director of the NSC, you probably want to keep that guy's name out of the press. So the political appointee, a senior director and director, is, is you know, you want to keep that you know, tight, tight hold. The new phone book of the new NSC extensions had been leaked to the Washington Post before Mike Flynn, the National Security Advisor, had signed off on it. This is less than a week into the administration. And I said to Mike, and I, you know, I, was, I came into the transition team to work for Mike on CT issues, but then Steve Bannon poached me. So at this time, I was already a DAP, but I wasn't working for Mike. I, I considered him a friend. And I said to Mike, I said, Gerald uh, Flynn, this is bad. Yes, it's only a phone book, but if you don't control the house, if you don't control the building... You don't control anything. And I said to him, you need right now, just advice to you, sir, you need to get every polygrapher from DOJ into the Eisenhower building and polygraph all the 420 people in the NSC, whether they're our guys or, or holdovers, and find out who leaked that document, because that's a crime, and perp walk them out of the building in front of the cameras on the North Lawn. General Flynn, who served this nation honorably for 32 years, former DIA director, said, great idea, Seb, but I can't rock the boat. Two days later, he was fired. So, so you know, this is the power of the, the, the deep state. Secondly, and this is a more subtle one, but I think it illustrates why Donald Trump had to be gotten rid of and what has happened to the IC. So in my job, I had a kind of... Um, the, the, who was it? Um, Bill O'Reilly called me the, the national security utility infielder for, for President Trump. So I, I was doing all kinds of stuff. I was actually going to use that in the intro, then I said no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had a project, a classified project to work on that was too big for me. I, you know, I'm just one guy in a small little unit working for Bannon. So I needed to detail some people over to me. Now, I'd spent years and years educating the military and, and various parts of the IC. And I've got lots of graduates across the IC. And I had a specific task set. And I said, OK, I need, I need these four people to be detailed to me at the White House. Three people at FBI that I taught at grad school 
and a gal at the CIA. Now, you know that, you know, a by name request at my rank is a, is a big deal, right? There's only 42 DAPs in the U.S. government. We rank above three-star generals. I, I didn't know that, but, you know, when I pulled into the DIA for a conference one day and they, you know, the red carpet rolled out and I realized, oh, oh, yeah, maybe this is a big job. Um, <laughs> and I put, in, I put in the name requests, you know, John Smith at the Hoover and, you know, Jane Doe at Langley. And this should take max, when a DAP requests a by-name USG secondment, it should take 10 days. You know, you move the, the clearance from scattered castles to the White House or J-Pass or whatever, and boom, the, you know, the paperwork's done. I wait a month, nothing. Wow. I wait two months. I go back to the lovely lady at HR in the White House, and I get the same the same boilerplate. Oh, oh, just a couple of last things, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. They'll be here imminently. Six months, nothing. And eventually, a senior guy at the Bureau, a former Marine, is in the White House for another meeting, and he peels off to come and see me. And I'm going to quote him directly. He says, hey, Seb, you know those, those guys you, you seconded, you did a by name for from uh, the FBI? You are never getting them because... Direct quote, the seventh floor of the Hoover building looks at this White House as the, quote, enemy. Wow. Now, now think about that for a second. I mean, the 64 million Americans choose the president, irrespective of you know, political party, choose the president. And unelected officials in the seventh floor of, of the FBI headquarters say, no, 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 he's the enemy. We have to destroy him. People who've never, ever been elected, people who are, are you know, unaccountable, but people who think they get to run the country. So that's why you had Crossfire Hurricane. That's why you had, you know, Carter Page, Manafort, Flynn, Bannon, myself. I've mentioned this before. You know, nobody's picked up on it in, in, the, in the media. I was told a few months in, about four, four months in, that there was a four-man team of NSA contractors who, after the election, were tasked with surveilling me and Bannon and others in the White House with, it, with no predicate, no crime, no nothing, just surveilling us because we were seen as, you know, the effective representatives of President Trump. So th this is where we're at right now. So the deep state, you can call it whatever you want, the Permian bureaucracy, whatever, but it's real. And the idea that right now they're having this Inquisition show trial on Capitol Hill with one purpose to forward criminal indictments to the DOJ against my boss so that he can't run again. That, that, that is against the writ and the will of the American people. The American people get to choose the president. Oh, and on the last point, I should have said this at the beginning. Uh, it, 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 it kind of sounds a bit weird, but it's a fact. The lay person who's never been inside a skiff or, you know, been to Langley or wherever, you need to understand why the IC exists. The IC exists for one person and one person alone. Since the National Security Act of 1947 created the NSC and the CIA, it exists to serve the president. Doesn't work for Nancy Pelosi, doesn't work for Congress, doesn't work for the Senate, doesn't work for the director of the FBI or the, the DCI or the, the ODNI. The intelligence community, the classification system only exists to prepare the president to make decisions. They work for him. He is the commander-in-chief, not just of the American armed forces, but the IC. And the idea 
that a director of the FBI and a director of the CIA, like you know, like uh, Comey and Brennan, can be actively subverting the person who they're supposed to be serving the classified intel to. We have big problems in this country that go way beyond election integrity. But but don't get me wrong. Election integrity is, is a sucking chest wound, as is the politicization of the IC. Yeah, we've got a story coming up here in a couple of weeks, uh, this thing we're calling the pit. It's a meeting of a uh, hundred or so um, really important people, influencers. You'll, your invitation will be uh, uh, in your inbox soon if it's not already there. But one of the things we, we felt the need to do in the pit was to to create this so that we could disseminate some in, new information that we have that is so shocking and so stunning uh, to most people. It won't be to you. It won't be to people that have lived this. It won't be to Bannon. It won't be to some of the other guys, Carter and everybody else. But it is shocking to to go work through a project where you're working with the government. You're working hand in hand on a counterintelligence operation and then suddenly, boom, you're the target? Wait, wait a minute, what happened? I mean, we, we've we been looking at each other like, what in the world happened? We were working with these people every week. We were we were actually part of the op. We didn't just surface the information. And then out of the blue, in the very end, after 18 months, we find out that we, Catherine and I, are the targets. Like, how could that be? But you just described, you just described the how could it be. We're the yeah, enemy. This is, it's like... You know, I just finished watching a terminal list. I'm going to have Jack Carr on, on my show today. And I'm kind of like, uh, in the breaks off camera, I'm going to kind of say, hey, dude, you're a SEAL. You're a former SEAL sniper. And you're writing a story about your admiral being the bad guy, having your teammates killed. And I thought, why are you making your admiral, your your, your members of your brotherhood, the enemy in your fictional book? And I, I, I'm thinking to myself, after what I've been through, it's like uh, Brennan is evil. I mean, it's just, sorry, Comey is a bad guy. He's he's a narcissist. Brennan is evil. Hayden is evil. Uh, Clapper's a cretin that you know facilitates the evildoers. But but what what John Carr is, what Jack Carr's doing in Terminal List is is not that too crazy because we're seeing people with immense power. Who have the the clearances, have the uh, you know the ID cards to get into those places that nobody else gets to go, undermining the republic. So you know we we need to uh, we need to bang this drum very loud. Catherine and I have long talked about this being a thousand front war, um, and and by the this we mean the election integrity issues in the country, and. We see some direct parallels in what's happening in the United States, or I do, between what's happening in the U.S. and what's happened all over the all over the world. You know, with communism and Marxism and and all the other you know iterations of of Karl Marx's evil that's out that are out there in the world. You know, a million in the first one hundred years, a million people died because of communism. At least right. a million people died. But the same techniques that that the bad guys use that these communists that these marxists used are eking and leaking into our country and they're coming in sort of through the election system it's a broken process it's everything everything about the elections in the united states are broken we're not just third world but we're we're you know we're we're a cartel as it relates to elections um we've begun to 
I like your opinion on this. We began to talk about this, like these are little insurgencies. So what we're seeing in San Luis, Arizona, or what we're seeing in, in uh, South Texas, what we're seeing across the country, there are these little insurgencies around. They're all heading in the general same direction, but they're all a tiny bit different. They do things a little bit differently. Um, and our view of this is, and one of the reasons we're going to be establishing our fusion center, and one of the reasons that Patriot Games is even existing we're going to bring Americans into our world. We're going to bring them in as we're creating the Fusion Center. But more than that, we're going to work with Americans to create our own counterinsurgencies, right? Create a list or a group of, you know, six guys here or 12 guys there or 12 ladies in this operation. So from a, a, a an attack perspective or a tactical perspective, we've got to be able to put these people on the ground to fight back against the individual insurgencies. And the only way we know to do that is to create a fusion center that will allow um, citizen, um, uh, you know, freedom fighters to be able to come in and access information that, that supports the cause. And so that's where, where true the votes going uh, OPSEC as a supporter of true the vote and then Patriot Games as really sort of the the transparency arm of this. We're going to bring people in. We're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna let them participate in our in our uh, our daily briefings. We're gonna let people sort of listen in. If you were advising me, which you sort of are actually, um, if you were advising me about all of this, what what would you what would you the two or three things that you would suggest that that our listeners and the peoples that are the people that are working with us inside of these these counterintelligence operations or these uh, uh, these counterinsurgencies what what can we do or what can we do to avoid the inevitable here and that inevitable is the is the attack of the government so this is big so you, you need to talk to my wife because we've actually been discussing she's been working on a huge book length study on exactly this issue for about a year now with her colleague or her former colleague at the heritage foundation so i'm writing Catherine's name down right now so tell her i'll be yeah. i'll be in touch soon. Yeah, katie gorker she she's just leaving the heritage foundation to set up our own production company but with mike gonzalez so she had this brainwave, and uh, I, i'm going to get into the, the weeds here not i mean i'm going to stay strategic when i'm going to give you some some real gold here, some real, you know, family jewels. So grand strategy is where it's at. And you can't win any war without understanding how strategy works. And wherever I've been teaching, whether it's, you know, DOD, war colleges, the Marine Corps University, JFK, you know, Bragg, I've always used one case study to illustrate when America got it right, and in such a way that it is the textbook. And that's the Cold War's birth in NSC 68. So you, you look at Cannon's long telegram in 47, uh, 46, turns into the article, the uh, sources of Soviet conduct leads to the Truman Doctrine and then the classified op plan from Paul Nietzsche called NSC 68. That, that's when it's the perfect example of understanding the enemy, strengths, weaknesses, role of the, 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 the violence and nonviolence, and how you counter it, especially in the IO domain. Then um, when I moved here, because we were in the midst of GWAT, I, I kind of had to reinvent myself uh, as, as, a, as a counterinsurgency expert. 
And it was great to do that uh, as a, a guy completely as a blank slate from the outside. This is when FM 324 was being rewritten by Petraeus. And, and I came in there not as a guy who's been at Carlisle for years or been at Leavenworth in the doctrine shop for years, but a guy who understood grand strategy, Western civilization. And my first degree was philosophy and theology. So I actually understood the power of religion, not just for the Christian world, but for Muslims as well. And I came in and I realized this is garbage. FM 324 is, is a load of crap, even after Petraeus wrote it, because he's using Vietnam and, and Northern Ireland and, and Algeria as, as his baselines. And those are the worst examples, because in every case, the, the bad guy won. Right. In Northern Ireland, the IRA became members of the Stormont Parliament in, in Vietnam. Guess what? We didn't win. And then also in Algeria, what happened? The, 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 the separatists became an independent state. So you, it's like asking the, 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 the losing team's coach to give you his playbook to defeat the Taliban. It's like, are you on crack, Petraeus? So so I, I started from scratch and I became you know, IW became my world. And here's the challenge. This is the real challenge for you. And I, I say this as a warning, uh, Greg, to you and uh, Catherine, because this is exactly what we've been grappling with with Katie for about six months now. We are in an irregular war and our enemy has a plan. And they've been using that plan since about 1932. So when Antonio Gramsci the Italian communist cripple is arrested by Mussolini and put in a prison cell, he sits down and he starts writing scritti politi. He writes these political handbooks, his political writings, that become eventually, over the next 60 years, the new left, what Katie calls next-gen Marxists. And what the, the, what the communists like Gramsci, the Frankfurt School, Adorno, Marcuse, Alinsky, realize, and this is, this is a real, real challenge for us, that Communism a la Marx will never work except in feudal uh, uh, agrarian nations. Th this is what, what Gramsci realized, that in a nation that has a strong Judeo-Christian heritage with a strong middle class, you can't have a peasant's revolt. The only place classic Marxism flourished was Tsarist Russia in 17 and Maoist China in 48. If you've got a strong middle class with Judeo-Christian background, they say, what? Workers' paradise? No public property? Uh, no private property? Are, are you on drugs? It just doesn't work. So what Gramsci said is, and, and then Adorno Marcuse refined it into the long march of the institutions, instead of going up against the state, instead of building the barricades and trying to ignite a revolution that never got, is never going to happen, look at Chicago in 68 and the days of rage, SDS, weather underground, complete failure. What you do is you capture the institutions. You, you don't become the revolutionary. You become the, 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 the dean of the teacher training college that's pumping out the, the Marxist high school teachers. You, you, you don't you know, try and burn down Hollywood, you take over Hollywood with woke garbage and, and products that, you know, undermine the state or undermine the values of the state, undermine the building blocks of society like the family, and, and then you're winning. So, so and, and, and you've got to read Andrew Breitbart's book. Chapter six of Righteous Indignation is their playbook. He totally rips apart how they did this. And, and it was a life-changing book for me. So, so what we have now is it's not 
the streets of Northern Ireland with, with you know, a, a guy in, in the, the, the provisional IRA with a, you know, AR-180 widowmaker shooting at us. It's a nonviolent insurgency. I get BLM, I get Antifa, but those those are pikers, okay? That you know, those people don't know how to strip an AR-15, okay? They, they know how to, you know, cock. They, they know how to cold cock you with a bicycle lock. These aren't real insurgents. What we have is a very sophisticated cultural insurgency, an IO campaign, psychological warfare, indoctrination that we are very slowly waking up to. And God bless the communist Chinese for, for creating COVID, because otherwise we don't have the, what my wife calls the parents' revolt. You don't have Tatiana Ibrahim in New York. You don't have Stacey Langton, uh, 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 Chantal Cooper in Fairfax and, and Loudon standing up and saying, what are you teaching my kids? You know, CRT. I mean, so, so people are waking up, but how do we respond at a strategic level? You're, you're talking about these little cells you want to create. So number one, word of, word of, word of caution. We are fighting uh, an insurgency. But as soon as you start using that language, you will open a, a, an avenue of attack that you're calling for civil war. And this is a kinetic war. And, uh, you know, our, our challenge is to respond to a non-kinetic threat in the most effective ways possible and not open ourselves to avenues of attack. Because already, you know, January 6th, the insurrection, the only insurrection in world history that, that the insurrectionists didn't have any weapons. But 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 we have to we have to be very careful not to make ourselves vulnerable before we even begin, and also to understand that if this were a stand-up fight, if this were classic insurgency, the good guys would win. I, I'm sorry, we, yeah, I don't want a civil war in America, but you know, bring it. I've got two fifty cals, and I'm ready. I, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid of guns. You know, my dad taught me to shoot as soon as I could pick up a gun because he's escaped from a communist prison. We don't want to go there. We want to have a very effective counter that is non-kinetic. But we've got to get busy and we need some kind of clearinghouse. Uh, You know, calling it a fusion center is great. We need some kind of clearinghouse. But we have to remember that what we're talking about is a very effective cultural capture. And we we need to take back the culture. all conservatives can quote this, but they never actually think what it really means. Breitbart was right. Politics is downstream from culture. You're not going to win. You're not going to have clean elections unless unless you fix, fix the culture. I mean, think, think of this one example. Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg's not a politician. He's a cultural, you know, he's an ideological actor who dropped half a billion dollars to literally steal an election. You cannot privatize an election in America. And that's what he did to the tune of half a billion dollars. That wasn't a, you know, politics as we understand politics. It's a cultural actor stealing a political function. So uh, this is a much longer conversation, but maybe you, me, Catherine, and Katie should sit down and have that further discussion. But somebody has to do it. So God bless. Well, I just wrote it down. Catherine and Katie and and me and you need to uh, need to sit soon. Uh, Dr. Gorka, thank you so much for your time. Uh, uh, I think that um, that the the country is uh, should be and probably for all of us we're for where we are in your debt uh you president trump and and everybody that sort of stood in that 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 gap 
I was thinking about some of the things you said about Andrew. A lot of people don't know that that Catherine uh, Engelbrecht and Andrew Breitbart were really good friends. Um, and Andrew really took her under his wing when she, she was first getting started. Um, you know, told her at one point, look, I'll be your rodeo clown. I'll get out there in front of you and I'll, I'll lead the charge. And to an extent, I, th- I think some of, I've picked some of that up for her. But, but this whole idea that politics is downstream from culture is so critical so important that we explore that and understand that and all of the things that you said. Um, I, I let, let, me, let me just let me just be, make it clear so people understand what that phrase means, because everybody on the right can quote it, but they never stop to think what it means. It means very simply the following. When an issue arrives in this thinking city in Washington, D.C., it doesn't matter what the issue is, abortion, gun rights, the border, the economy, once it arrives to the political arena, it's already done and dusted. It, it's decided. The, the idea that you have a chance to change it once it's arrived to D.C. is wrong. Why? Because whatever the issue is, it was settled in the culture 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. The left made the decisions on abortion in Hollywood. The left made the decisions on the border in, in, you know, in local you know, cultural uh, events uh, along Texas and the Arizona border. So what you have to understand is politics is the last version of the issue where you really don't have any room to maneuver. And it's got to be one first in the cultural domain. That's what Andrew read. So read Righteous Indignation, read my tribute to his analysis in my last book, uh, The War for America's Soul, and you'll understand why the guy was such a genius. America needs to listen to Dr. Gorka more often. America's first. You can, on the Salem Network, uh, it's everywhere. Uh, Dr. Gorka, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Anytime. My pleasure. Follow me on all the social media sites, and the website is sebgorka.com. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wow. What a show. Episode two of Patriot Games on the intelligence community in the can. That was amazing. Uh, Dr. Sebastian Gorka uh, from America's First um, is is just an amazing, as you just, just heard, is an amazing individual, an incredible wealth of knowledge, experience, uh, understanding about uh, both the strategic and tactical sides of all of this. He understands things we need to do, things we don't need to do. And uh, I'm just completely blown away by it. So um, next big step for uh, me and Catherine is to go sit down with Dr. Gorka and Katie and uh, really spend some time really starting to flesh out some of these ideas that we'll bring back to you here at Patriot Games. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Patriot Games. PatriotGames.com Now, back to your host, Greg Phillips. When we started Patriot Games, we had absolutely no idea how we were going to be able to put this together. And uh, uh, Taylor, our executive producer, and and all of us just uh, kind of jumped in and started putting together equipment and started putting together the the pieces that ultimately became this. Um, I'm so grateful for the the people that have signed up to support us on Patreon um, and. It's, it's really sort of gratifying and humbling a little bit 
uh, when we first started this and then launched that first episode of the prelude, um, we didn't even really know what to think. Uh, we just kind of stuck it up there. We stuck a camera up there. I don't even think we had all our lights lit. The, you know, we had all manner of stuff going wrong. Um, but, uh, for those of you that have chosen to uh, support us through Patreon, I can't thank you enough. Um, we're going to get you some interesting information. We're going to give you a list of, uh, of some of the episodes that are upcoming and let you have an early look at that. And uh, we'll continue to provide you with new and interesting information. Appreciate y'all so much. Please, uh, if you're so inclined, uh, support us on Patreon. It'll help us uh, continue to make this program better for everybody. I can't thank my friends at Warpath Coffee enough. My friend Tage Gill started Warpath Coffee after being a Navy SEAL. And he sent it to me and declared at that point that this was the best coffee that he had ever tasted. And I 100% agree. Warpath Coffee is the best coffee on the market today. The difference is how they do their roasting. So many of these roasters, especially for the big chains like the Starbucks and all these people, they burn the beans. And so in burning the beans, you have to have extra things put in it so that they can make their lattes and all the different things that they need. So you need milk and you need all these things to even it out because the, the beans were burned. Tage and his roasters figured out a way to roast the beans without burning the beans. And in that creation of that caramelization, it really softens the drink so that you can drink Warpath coffee black. Um, I drink it black. It's keto friendly. Um, and you don't have to add all the sugars and, you know, all the nonsense that, that folks put into coffee these days, but Warpath coffee is the best coffee that I've ever had. Please go to warpath.coffee order from Tage today. And, uh, I promise you won't regret it. We at Patriot games are super excited about a new sponsor. Um, when we first got into 2000 mules and bought all of that geo data and really began to dig into it, the one thing we recognized, of course, was that there's a lot of citizens out there that aren't doing anything wrong, but people are still tracking them. Um, and these cell phones and the trackers that are in these apps, um, in spite of what the, the media seems to have you believe that it can't be done and it's just wrong and you can't tell which side of the street people are on. All of that is false. Um, there are very few technologies out there that can actually protect you. Um, we at Patriot Games have partnered with a company called Stratus X. Stratus is developing a technology that is going to allow you to sign into a hotspot to ensure that your ad keys, that your IMEIs, that your maids are not trackable by the bad guys, uh, by the tech, big tech companies. And, um, we look forward to, uh, this, this, um, partnership with, uh, Stratus X. We're going to get the guys from Stratus X on the show and talk a little bit about how can you protect yourself, uh, and your family and your coworkers, um, using the tools that Stratus X is developing. So thank you again to the, to the great folks at Stratus X. And we look forward to the next big steps in trying to protect our listeners and everybody else. You've been listening to Patriot games. Privacy is a thing of the past, no matter where you are. 
You're being watched. No one is off the grid. The intelligence community has access to technology that most Americans can't even imagine. And this show is here to expose all of it. For more info, to contact, and to stay up to date, visit the website at PatriotGames.com. Until next time, keep your eyes open.